Roy's got utter belief in him. And somehow she's found the acceleration. Life is good, people. Thanksgiving is here a day early. The Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast in your feed 24 hours earlier than normal. A pair of 24-year-old Americans have won the NCAA cross-country individual titles. NAU, located in the birthplace of Let's Run.com, has won yet another NCAA men's team title. The women of North Carolina State have won their first ever NCAA title. Jacob Caplimo is the half marathon world record holder. And that's just the running stuff that there is to be thankful for, folks. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson welcoming you to the show. Walden and John, I hope you guys are excited because I am routing on cloud nine. My personal, my personal life is just incredible. What an incredible weekend, Tallahassee. We stayed at until the bars closed on Thursday night with the supporting club members. I've secured the location for the supporting club VIP party when the worlds go to Tallahassee. So we're having lots of fun. And then the meet, the, t- the race takes place, and I, I'm not even allowed to finish my media duties because I was forced to leave the media so I could get a picture with the mom of one of America's top distance talents. They demanded that I leave the, the media area for the selfie with the family. Great weekend, great weekend. And it's not over, folks. I just walked into the office for the first time since getting back from Tallahassee. Look at this package, guys. Can you see this? I'm pretty sure what this is, folks. It's Black Friday on Friday. This is my Christmas right now. A supporting club member said he was going to send me something that I desperately need. Let's see if this is it. Is it all right, my prediction is a dictionary. Oh, this is big. Have you seen any brand names? Don't yell them out loud. This person, I don't want them getting fired. They sent this from the company store. Oh, wow. Look at the color of those babies. Is that not beautiful or what? When you're only running 15 miles a week, they all need to be in a goddamn super shoe. And I've got my first pair of super shoes. Can I put them on and run in them? They feel like air right now. Can I put them on right now and tell you what it feels like? This is amazing. Thank you to the podcast listener. Loves the show. Said they would send me the, the, the super shoes. Says, Rojo, you need them. And I've got them. Christmas is good. Someone call Emily and tell her I don't need anything. Well, that's good. Maybe one day Robert will break three hours in the marathon. For now, it might. For now, it's a pipe dream, but I hope you do it, Robert. And also, I'm happy that you said Jacob Kiplimo broke the world record in the half marathon during the intro because on our conference call yesterday, you said it was Joshua Chepta guy. In the first draft of your week that was this morning, you said it was Kibawat Kandier. So third time's the charm. You got it. First time on the Let's Run.com podcast, that's what counts. But yeah, I was in Tallahassee as well. What a weekend. Like Robert said, he, he you know, he wasn't, mis- I think he was a little uh, misleading there, closing down the bars on Thursday night. It's pretty easy to close down the bars when they close at 10 p.m. So we went to a brewery, good brewery, but then, you know, it was only halftime of the Patriots-Falcons Thursday night game, so... Robert led the quest to find another place. And then that place closed as well, right, Robert? We didn't care. The Patriots were up by so much, we could just go home to celebrate. But yeah, the course was nice in Tallahassee. G- great time meeting with some Let's Run.com readers. Brian Corbin, who helped design the course. He's a Let's Run.com 
supporters club member. We had him on our podcast. That was a thrill. And I mean, you mentioned it, Robert. Well, cross country, they're bidding. They want it. I think either 2024 or 2026. It will be the first time in the United States since the early nineties at Franklin park. And the course isn't super tough, but they're going to add some features. I think it would be, I think it would be a great time, a great anywhere in the United States having well cross country would be exciting. But after being to Tallahassee, I'd, I'd enjoy having it there. And for those of you who didn't listen to the Friday 15, the bonus podcast for supporters club members, there's talk of Disney being involved in the sponsorship and a roller coaster being in the middle of this race. That is genius. I support it. And I was not in Tallahassee. And the, the shoe thing, like a guy from a shoe company ships Robert a free pair of shoes, hoping to get free publicity, and Robert's covering up the brand, and we can't talk about it? Wow. I guess this is probably the last free pair of shoes Robert gets. But I think on it was it last week's podcast, guys. We talked about the turkey trot. I was a little alarmed that the price was 40 bucks. I've heard from a lot of you. You say, hey, that's a the going rate for a 5K these days, pretty much. Get over it. Even though I view it as my my little village, my little town, it should be like the cost of a big city. So, guys, I've paid my 40 bucks. I just paid. But now my question is, I'm going to be pushing the stroller so I have an excuse on how bad my time is in case some of you guys look me up. But I can't, I'm not allowed to hobby jog it, right? You got to go hard. There's no hobby jogging allowed unless my wife runs it. Then I'm allowed to run with her. I want to know the rules. And then do I wear the OnCloud Echo Boom? I will mention a shoe company because they were a big sponsor of Let's Runs. Thank you, On. It's the only super shoe I have. I've never worn it. I've been saving it. But now I've been running like twice a week. I got some intervals in yesterday to get ready. So do I go Cloud Echo Boom with never having worn the shoes straight up in the race? Or do I just go regular shoes? My opinion, Weldon, you wear the fastest shoe that you have access to. Sounds like the Cloud Echo Boom. You wear that and you race this thing all out. I think under the let'srun.com constitution, your shares in the website pass to Robert if you hobby jog a race. So yeah, you got to race this thing. Hey, we need like a board of directors to settle these things. I think that's what we need, a constitution, board of directors, a Congress. Walden was claiming that this person wanted free publicity for sending me shoes. Far from it. Hey, Rojo, I heard you say on the New York City Recap podcast that you wanted to try some super shoes. I'll buy them for you. I just need your size and place to have them delivered. Why? Because I read Let's Run Daily and I started listening to your pods during COVID. You, your bro, and Jay Galt have helped educate me about running and provide a ton of entertainment. I'm a huge running fan and Let's Run fan now, and I really appreciate you guys. But please don't mention or thank me on the pod for the shoes. The running world is small and I want to be anonymous. The attention should be on their runners. Okay. As far as I can go, John, without without going too far. Well, actually, I think you already went too far. You did thank him, and you've spent about two or three minutes talking about these shoes. So you've probably already blown your cover, but you didn't mention the brand at any point. No, I wrote him back and said, you know, can I thank you anonymously? He said, absolutely. So that's good. By the way, if you're not a VIP supporting club member, go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. Join today. If you're an NCA coach, you can get the full spreadsheet analysis as we spend hours going through the March NCA results, the November NCA results, comparing everybody who ran, showing you the average, showing you the differences in their places. So write it off on the company expense on, on the on the 
programs expense expenses join today it's a good excuse but also later in the show and for supporting club members only i will do a brief monologue in support of jk rowling Uh uh-oh i'm sure that's what people want to hear all right can we turn to the cross-country action this might have been the longest intro ever to our podcast oh we got to start with cross-country even though we had another 57 minute half marathon world record by kip Wimo. But NCAA Cross Country Championships, Saturday in Tallahassee. You guys were there. I was not. And BYU with two individual champions. Whitney Orton getting the first individual crown for the, on the women's side for a BYU athlete. And Connor Mance repeating as NAU. I mean, it's a dynasty, guys. There's no way around it now. Winning for the fifth time. In six years, two in a row, and NC State getting their first crown on the women's side. Great action. I think we got to pick a sex to start with. So let's go with the women. All right. Well, my, I mean, some of the takeaways I had from this race, it kind of played out how I expected it to be. If you looked at what I wrote in the previews, what I was saying on the podcast, I mean, I picked NC State. I think we all picked NC State to win, right? And it was forecast as a battle between, you know, the two undefeated, well, two of the undefeated women in the country this year. Actually, the three undefeated women in the country this year went one, two, three. Whitney Orton, Mercy Chalanga, the defending champion from Alabama, and Kayla McCabe of West Virginia. Normally, you have some crazy result. Someone runs unexpectedly and cracks that top three. This year, it was just the three best women all year were the best three women in the field on Saturday. And that was extra interesting because this was a very close race. I took a picture of the lead pack with the K to go. There was still about 10 women. They're running like seven wide. I, you know, I thought, okay, this is where we get some crazy result. There's going to be someone unlikely. Kaylee Delay of Yale Weldon. She was up there. She wound up in the top 10. She ran with the lead pack for a long way. Nope. The class sorted itself out. Whitney Orton made her big move up the wall, which they ran for the second time. That's the big hill on the course. And really untouched over the home straight. She looked really strong, pulled away to the victory. Chalangat second, McCabe third. It's kind of crazy. We never really put out video, but in case we did, I'm putting up a picture here of Orton with a comfortable lead over Chalangat. And the crazy thing is she only pulled away really the last 800. I mean, she crushed them the last 800. Because as you said, John, it was a pretty big pack with 1K to go. So, I mean, great running by her. Well, the big thing with Orton is getting to this race healthy because she's had injuries throughout her career. This is her sixth year at BYU, and she didn't go on a mission or anything like that. It's just, you know, regular fifth year, and then she gets a COVID year like everyone else. So she's a sixth-year senior. We're going to be seeing a bunch of those, I think, in the years to come because of all the people who ran in 2020 and get that extra year of eligibility. And the problem, this meet last year, she was in the lead with a K to go as well. And what happened? She only had four weeks of running under her belt and she just fell apart. She didn't have the strength. Now we see she had a summer of training and Diljeet Taylor, her coach, was very careful with managing her intensity and workouts. Whitney said in the post-race mix zone that she's she likes to go dark in interviews she really likes to push hard and in workouts 
not interviews. She likes oh, to sorry. go dark. Yeah, yeah. She likes to go dark in workouts. I'm sorry. Good correction there, well, Robert. Um, and she was a little scared to go away from that because she's had a lot of success. She's run 15-12. She's had some you know, great results at BYU. But that's what they felt was necessary to keep her healthy. So she backed off the intensity in workouts. She only raced twice before NCAAs. But when it mattered the most, she got her best performance at NCAA Cross. And she got that title. And now, you know, she's 24. She's turning pro. She doesn't have any more eligibility left. So it was really cool to see it all come together for a woman who's, you know, she's had her share of struggles during her six years at BYU. Yeah, it was great to see her win. By the way, folks... Holiday spirit is in me. We're going to have Whitney Orton and Connor Mance on the Friday 15 bonus podcast. But I'm going to make it free to all. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you believe in. Hope you're going to enjoy that. But because we're going to be talking to her later today. And John, one thing that, I mean, I read your preview when you when Dilji Taylor said everything's healthy, I'm like she's going to win, and that's why I picked her in the in the running warehouse prediction contest. By the way, I won the staff competition, finished in the top fifty overall or fifty first, I think overall. If only I hadn't tried to get cute and put Pig. I don't even remember his name anymore. The guy from Campbell to win, and I kind of thought NAU was going to crush Notre Dame, but I picked Notre Dame. I could have gotten in the top three overall if I picked if I just switched those two, it would have been third overall. Anyways. <laughs> It's easy to say that after the fact, but... If I just picked what the winners picked, I would have won the contest. Yeah, that's a great logic there, Robert. But one thing that struck me, and we'll talk about this later when we get to Notre Dame men, is sometimes I think the coaches try to get a little bit too cute, and they don't want to race anybody, and they're going to open up with a conference meet. And then push comes to shove. Those Notre Dame boys looked like they weren't ready for battle. But it worked out perfectly for Orton. I mean, maybe if you're supremely so, so super talented... You can do it. Uh, well, I guess it was a course record for the women. I was thinking maybe it wasn't quite as fast as the men, relatively saying. But w- one thing that strikes me about, about Orton is, we've got to talk to her about this, is what an incredible athlete. You guys realize in high school, she was first-team All-State in volleyball. She was the basketball MVP. She was first-team All-State in basketball as well, player of the year. And then two volleyball state titles, three basketball state titles, four-time track, force track state titles, and three cross-country state titles. That's sick. So she won, you know, even if you count or cross country and track, four different state titles. Really amazing. Is she from like a big school or this? Like well, this is one a, so I assume one a is the smallest out there in Pangu Twitch, Utah. Yeah. They might explain it. Cause otherwise I assume she's getting D one basketball offers. Well, the popular population of Panguitich, hopefully that's how you pronounce it is. Only estimated to be 1,691 people. Oops, I just realized it. Put another asterisk next to the win. Folks, she was from altitude, 6,600 feet. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It was great to see her win. And I, I really, one thing about this was Diljeet Taylor afterwards was, and I, I used to feel this as a coach. If you get the individual win, the disappointment in the team is for some reason sort of taken away. She's like, this Whitney is our win today. And but what I liked seeing was, I think they put it out on, on Twitter, Instagram was them celebrating second place. Because I think it gets really hard. Once you win, all you can do is fail. 
and people don't enjoy it. And Mike Smith talked to me about this after the race. The one year they lost, he's like, you would have thought we were at a funeral. He's, you know, he was like, nobody was excited. I'm like, dude, guys, we just got second in the country. And this year, Mike purposely told me, he's like, I didn't mention the word national championships. I didn't mention NCAs one time. I didn't mention the name of another team one time. So I'm sorry I'm kind of going into my men's segment when we're talking about the women. But he's like, we just focused on ourselves. So because I do think the expectations can become a lot. And I was I was pleased to see the BYU women sort of enjoying second. Dilji Taylor was happy to see a woman's another women's-led program in NC State win the women's title. And that's why I want to move now. Lori Hennis, amazing. She's been there for 30 years as the assistant or head coach. 16 years, I think, as the head coach. Finally gets her first win. And, you know, again, and talking to her, she's like, oh, I've always viewed this as a top program. But it was like 2013 or 2014, they hadn't made this meet four out of six years in a row. You know, just two out of six years. And now they're winning it. I want to give the credit to the daughter. I mean, the daughter shows up there, and then all of a sudden they start getting all these big recruits. I do think people want a softer coach now. They don't want a Martin Smith. They don't want someone yelling at your face anymore. More, maybe more women want to be coached by women. But then you see, hey, mom and daughter are here. This is a family atmosphere. That's attractive. So really uplifting there. I'm going to go with the uplifting thing because I did have one negative take that ruined it all. Walden got mad at me, so I won't say it right now. Wow, John. Robert backing off, but I'm not letting him off the hook. I will go there. I wrote this down. I took notes. This might be one of the first times I've ever taken private notes on a phone call with Robert. Let me find them. He started ranting. Quote, running is a genetic lottery. And then he ranted that NC State only won because they got the two best high school recruits in the country. And then they got a ringer transfer. That's called recruiting, Robert. That's a big part of a coach's job. I don't understand. People get mad no matter how anyone wins. Like, if you win with foreigners, you get criticized for it. If you win with athletes who are overage or, you know, older than a normal fourth-year senior, you get criticized for it. If you win, you know, with stud recruits, oh, it was too easy. They were loaded. Of course they were going to win. Like, the, I guess the only way that you're allowed to win an NCAA cross-country title is if you get, like, five pretty good recruits in high school, they stay four years, maybe five years, none of them transfer, and then they all build up. Like, that's not how you build teams. Look at the two title teams we had this year. NC State, they don't win if Allie Hayes, the Columbia grad transfer, doesn't come in and she runs the race of her life and gets fourth. Same with NAU. They don't win if George Cush, who was a stud at Nebraska and had, you know, bombed two of his three NCAA cross appearances, comes in and gets the job done. Like, this is just part of building a championship team. It always has been, actually, if you look through. You need a transfer, or you need some international athlete, you know, that, or you need a top recruit. That's how these teams are built. John, the acceptable way to win is five walk-ons. <laughs> Wait. Oh, that actually made me think of one coach, actually. What about Vin Lanana at Dartmouth back in the day? They got third place with no scholarships. Uh, actually, we got twice two years in a row with no scholarships. You got second? Yeah. Wow. And now Vin is the best recruiting class in the country. Look out. Could Virginia win it all in four years? We'll get to that later because we're not talking about the men now. Yeah, I just got. I said that negative take just because it bothers me. 
you know, I, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of great coaches out there. I love this story. This is why I was so uplifted by, by, by Hennessy's reaching the, the pinnacle because I think I felt this at Cornell. Oh, why aren't you winning? Why aren't I winning? Because I'm not getting the best recruits, and I'm never going to get the best recruits at Cornell University and the Ivy League when you're dealing with Harvard and Princeton. That's just not going to happen. It's not like I need to analyze the talent like in soccer or football or find who's the best fit for our system or find a speedy wide receiver this year and a cornerback this year. No, in track, it's pretty self-explanatory. Who's the fastest person? Who can jump the farthest, throw the far, you know, whatever. And so, you know, there's a lot of fantastic coaches capable of guiding teams not only to the top, but to dominance at the top. And just think about Andy Gerard at Stanford. He, he took over from Inland and he scored like 27 points in nationals. So, it's great to see someone like this get to the top. But I did ask her after the fact and said, Hey, is it easier to recruit now? And she said, absolutely. You know, so I guess high school kids want to jump on the bandwagon. Heck, even, you know, Miss Hayes wanted to go to a winner. So all these kids that have been going to Oregon all these years, all these Ivy League kids, you know, transferring out to Oregon, maybe some will go to NC State instead. Keep, keep the ball rolling. So I, I was, you know, pumped for that. But one other thing in defense of, you know, it was amazing is, you know, we talk about they don't win, these teams don't win, you know, if if they don't get the transfers. But one other thing is also true about both NC State and NAU to a certain extent, but is NC State doesn't win unless Samantha Bush is 32nd. And a year ago, in October, a year ago, like last, what, October? She was 30th at the, at the ACC meet. So to go from 30th in the ACC meet to 32nd in Nationals is ridiculous. And Brody Hasty for NAU, he was running like 25th at the regional meet, and he finished 39th at Nationals. I know he's been up; he was 42nd last time, but for him to come around and stick it, you know, land, stick the landing when he needed to, was remarkable. So they they are exceptional coaches. But when John and I were out in dinner on Friday night with some, this is actually interesting. I met a number of people who just drove down to the meet as spectators. They had no connection to any of these teams. One of John's College buddies and his dad and his wife were down there, came down from Atlanta, and I did propose to the father that we start a draft for NCAA cross country. Even it out, kind of like the NFL. If you have a bad year, you get to draft first. So certainly, in the minimum, they need to do this in the Ivy League. You apply to the Ivy League, the Ivy League accepts you, and then you know the commissioner allocates you to your various teams. Oh, so you have to apply per, per conference, or we're not doing the entire NCAA, so people aren't going to be going to like Prairie View A and M if you're the top recruit in the country. Like Robert, Robert you've, you've had some harebrained ideas in the past, but this might have been this may be the stupidest one you've ever come up with. Do it, do it for the Ivy League then, at minimum, just so that Cornell and Yale have a shot one year. I will talk about you know this women's race. I thought the team battle was interesting. You know, NC State. My thinking going in was if they run their best race, they're going to win. They had the best top five, and that's how it panned out. They scored 84 points. I think even if BYU ran their absolute best, it was going to be very hard for them to top that. BYU, when they won in March, scored 96. And BYU, their three-year run, Diljeet Taylor said she's very proud of it, as she should be. Because if you look at their results, second in 2019 with 102 points, they were only six points away from winning first in 2020, 96 points. And then second in 2021 with 122, there are no bad days in there. Like 122 is still a very solid score. It's usually not quite enough to win, but they ran well. The problem was at four and five, they just 
weren't quite as good last year as they were in 20, you know, sorry, they weren't quite as good this year as they were in, in March with McKenna Lee and Sarah Musselman. But at the same time, you know, it's not like they bombed or anything. Just like, I don't, even if those two improve their places by like 20 points each, they're still losing to NC State because NC State had a flyer. So, you know, both teams ran, both teams ran well, but NC State, you know, their top five got it done because they're six, six women. I mean, if, if, if she was forced to score, they were not going to win because Heather Holt, their number six was back in 95th. That would have cost them the title. And Bo Wagner, the man who comes up with the program that predicts the NCAA qualifiers every year, he gave a great stat to us that usually the top team, they're so good that they could score their sixth runner instead of their fifth and they would still win. That would have held true every year from 2017 through 2020 on the women's side and every year from 2016 through 2020 on the men's side. But it would not have held true this year on the men's or women's side. There was quite a big drop-off for NC State and NAU from five to six, but their five was so good it didn't matter. Robert John, I thought your article comparing these November 2021 cross-country championships to the March 2021 cross-country championships was excellent. And you guys noted no team, men or women, ran the same seven people, which is kind of crazy if you think about. But also you noted both BYU and NC State had their entire top seven back from last year. Yet they went, they had different runners running. BYU came close to running the same team. Now they had six of their top seven from the national title team in March and they still lost. NC State had their whole team back. And I think you guys said they ran four of the top seven. So that means they had three new runners. Just pretty interesting. You know, it shows you, you can't get complacent. And these runners aren't computers. They're not machines. They're not robots. People get injured. There's competition. It makes us all better. So you can't just sit on your laurels and think you'll keep winning every single year. Yeah. In fact, two of NC State's scorers on Saturday, Samantha Bush and Ellie Hayes, were not at NCAAs last year for NC State. So their top three were the same. Caitlin Tui, Hannah Steelman, Kelsey Camille, not in that order. They were the three that powered them to that runner-up finish. And their weak spots really were at four and five in March. This year, those three were all still really good. Then they got two more All-Americans, and they replaced you know their four or five from last year. And that was the difference between first and second. Yeah, I really enjoyed writing that article, comparing the results, because... It just reminded me of a lot of things that I started to believe as a coach, you know, and one of the key things that I think is really hard for runners to accept, and it starts to happen in college is in high school, you're improving so much just because you're physically maturing every year, particularly if you're a boy, but not only are you getting, you're physically getting stronger and whatever, you're also, you're bumping your training up every year. So it's just easy. You're training more, you're getting more physically mature. You're going to improve a ton. And then once your training gets to a high level and once you get physically mature, it gets much harder to improve. And then when you have like a really good, what I always say is when you have a really good race or a really good season, like everything went well. So to top that the next year is very, very hard. And you're seeing that in the numbers. There was 507 people that started the NCA meet in March and only 
102 of them, that's just 20.1%, finished in a better spot on Saturday than they did in March. Now, now I know not everyone was in the meet, but some of them couldn't qualify for the meet. Some of their teams didn't qualify. But still, like that's that's pretty remarkable. And even sort of, if you look at the All-Americans, it was like 62% of them ran worse in November than they did in March. So, yeah, you're adding in some people from indoors that weren't there, et cetera. But it, it's just it's hard to you know, keep that going, you know, on that front. So some interesting stuff there for sure. Yeah. Now let's, let's pivot here to the men's race. And what I think is interesting, you know, what this showed me is just how hard it is to run your best at NCAAs. Like it's one race. And, you know, if you've got six good guys, you need five of them to run really well. If you only have five good guys, you need all five to run well, to have a good day. And, NAU has basically perfected this. That's the most impressive thing of their dynasty to me is they have good athletes, of course, but they always bring their A game at the NCAAs, almost always, I'll say. If you look at their titles dating back to 2016, it's pretty crazy. They didn't even qualify in 2015. So they went from not qualifying in 2015 to starting a dynasty and winning five of the next six. Now, not qualifying, there was a little bit of a backstory there. They redshirted some of their top runners take a run at it in 2016 so that's why they didn't qualify but 2016 they scored 125 that's a that's a very good day i mean that was enough to win 2017 they crushed it 74 points 2018 they scored 83 which at the time was viewed kind of as a disappointment because they brought back basically their whole squad from 2017 but 83 points that's still a good day you can't say like oh man they stuck it up the next year that was their one off day 2019 163 and now that's viewed as like, how did that happen? Well, no, here's how it happens because you, you it's very rare to run really well at NCAA six years in a row. And even NAU couldn't do that. But then the last two years, 2020, they crushed it, 60 points. And then 92 again, when they had no margin for error. Again, Theo Quacks, their number four, five, sorry, their number six was way back in 114th. And you saw on the other end of the spectrum, Notre Dame, they totally crushed it last year, you know, 87 points. All their guys ran really, really well. And today, on Saturday, it was the opposite. Most of their guys bombed. You know, Dylan Jacobs and Danny Kilray both ran well, but the rest of their team really disappointed, and they ended up way back in ninth. And that is how it happens for a lot of teams. It's hard to produce your best race of the year consistently at the biggest race where it counts. NAU has done that, and that's the most impressive thing of their dynasty to me. As I said earlier, I think Mike's doing a really good job of focusing on the process, not the outside noise. But that being said, John, he's not the only one doing it. I mean, one thing that stunned me was the men's results as a team's was exactly exactly the same from one through seven as it was in March, except for Notre Dame goes out from number two down to number nine, and who who took their spot? Iowa State, who had a hell of a meet. By the way, can we give out some love to Iowa State? Because I don't think we gave them much publicity. We didn't interview anyone from Iowa State when we were there. We barely talked about them pre-race because they lost to Oklahoma State twice. So we thought if someone from the Big 12 was going to beat Oklahoma State, I mean, it was going to beat Northern Arizona. It, it was going to be Oklahoma State. But they've got a first-year coach. So Martin Smith had been there for a while, had really, I mean, what were they in, in March, John? They were third. Is that right? Iowa State? Yeah. No, they were, I don't know off the top of my head, but they were not on the podium. They were eighth in March. So yeah, they've been doing well, but Martin Smith had had them on the podium. So the eighth in March, but Martin Smith is fired. Now it's interesting here because the Iowa State Athletic Director, his son, 
what Thomas Pollard or what's his name, John? Help me out here. Thomas Pollard is the son. Jamie Pollard is the AD. Yeah, he's a runner on the team. Of course, he's going to stick around for the sixth year. And the dad's like, I don't, you know, the dad probably knows running a little bit. And it's like, I don't think we need Martin in charge anymore. He's too gruff. He's too, you know, not a friendly guy, I guess, whatever. I don't know. And they put in Jeremy Sudbury as the head. He has been the assistant. He's been doing a lot of the recruiting. And he's only 32, and they get second in the country. So hats off to him. And what I want to know is, John, we didn't talk to him at all in Tallahassee, but did this guy make an incredible impression? Because I was like, hey, John, I'm going to put something in the week that was about the Iowa State coach. How old is he again? And John said, he's 32. And we had lunch with him. We, uh, we had lunch with him in 2014. Like, John remembered meeting this guy seven years ago or something. I don't have my text. My, my iPhone is updating right now, John. Please provide the actual specifics here well the specifics was this was my first it was either my first or second trip for let's run.com it was probably my second and it was in eugene and we were at the wild duck and i think it was the 2014 ncaa's and we saw him at a table with some of the some of his old oklahoma college teammates because he ran in college at oklahoma I think he was with Pat Casey and a couple other guys. And he came over and he said he was a fan. I mean, this was, I had only been working for you guys for like a month at that point. So I think he was a fan of you guys and what you had built with the site. And, you know, he came over and started talking. He had a pretty cool story. Like he was, he could have gone to some really good college. I got to pull up, pull this up actually. So he was admitted to Stanford out of high school. He ran 945 in high school. So he must have gone in academically, but he wasn't allowed to walk onto the team. So instead, he went to a Paradise Valley Community College. He runs sub-15 there. He eventually got recruited to Oklahoma by Martin Smith. And then within a year, he was running, running sub-14. So he's a running, you know, running junkie. And he runs well in Oklahoma for Martin Smith. Then he starts coaching under Iowa under him at Iowa State. He'd been there for eight years. And now he gets the top job. He's the director of a you know Power Five program at 32 years old, and he's the coach of a runner-up team. And he's done a good job with Wesley Kip too. If you look at that top five, it's pretty interesting the way it was constructed. You got two Kenyans, Kip two, and Festus Lagat, who's a 145-800 guy who was 44th at cross. They were both JUCO transfers. You've got two Iowa natives in Thomas Pollard, the AD son, and Gable Sapieta, and then you've got another transfer at number five, Ryan Ford. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag of how they came to be on the team, but Subbury, you know, he took them from eighth to second in a year. And obviously, you know, they had a really good day, but they've also had a good season. You know, they won Nutty Comb. They ran Oklahoma State close at Big Ten, at Big 12s and regionals, and then they run their best race of the year at Nationals. So, you know, props to the Cyclones. Well, that's a pretty amazing story. And I didn't even know he was a fan of Let's Run, John. But he made enough of an impression of you that you took notes on him in your iPhone from seven years ago. So cool to see some new young blood, you know, coming up in the ranks. But again, I'm gonna I've already put a little asterisk next to the BYU women's win. I'm gonna have to put an asterisk here next to the second place win, because more I think about it, I assume that the dad, the AD, who's got a six million dollar contract, I think he makes like three quarters of a million dollars a year. I'm assuming he's gonna pay for if I'm him, I pay for my son's full tuition. So they can save the scholarship to make the program better, to make me look better as my job as an AD. So they probably have an extra, the equivalent of an extra scholarship floating around, in my opinion. 
Rojo will not rest until he can attach asterisks to every single team in the NCAA. Until we have a walk-on team with five walk-ons who did not break 930 in the two-mile in high school, win it all, every team will have, an, have a walk-on, have an asterisk next to it. All right, speaking of asterisks, let's talk about Connor Mance because this is a guy, he get, he got... He's got the asterisk. So many people on the message boards are just like, you know, old man. They they ask what time, what team is he going to join as a pro now? And some teams, someone's like, oh, he's going to join AARP. I mean, look, I get it. He turns 25 next month. That's pretty old for a college runner. But at the same time, he's this. He's able to compete under the eligibility rules. He's a seventh year senior. Okay, but two of those years were on a mission. I mean. I don't know. Does does that benefit? We've had this debate all the time. Does it benefit you being time away? I mean, I'm sure it helps him with the maturity aspect. You know, you're more mature at 24 than you are at, you know, 19. But look, I don't really, frankly, I'm not really that bothered by how old he is. He won the race. He's able to compete. And this guy's a total badass. I mean, how tough is Connor Mance? I, I was watching this race and he's up there. He looks like he's hurting from about the third step of the race. Everyone's making these moves. He just keeps responding. And then the home straight. How exciting was this? Mance, you're like, okay, this, you know, he's going to take over. And then Athanas Kyoko, Rojo's pre-race pick of Campbell, makes this huge move. And I was just like, oh, man, he's this is a 13-13 guy. You know, he's third in the NCAA 5K last year. This is it. He's going, you know, he's going to make the move. Why, why didn't we pick this guy? And Mance just hangs in there. He doesn't let himself get gapped. And then he just comes over the top with about 100 meters to go with a huge move of his own. He ends up winning by five seconds. I'm just like, how tough is Connor Mance, man? I, I immediately tweeted out, like, Connor MF, MF Mance, because that is the kind of, that's an MF move right there if I've ever seen one. Just the pain face on Mance, but he's still blasting away from everyone else. I mean, he's a total beast. And it's just so, so I already knew this guy was tough. I already knew he was talented, but I even, he earned another level of respect for me on Saturday. It was just so impressive to repeat. What my all American at Cornell texted me in the middle of the race, Bruce Hyde and said, Mance is an effing stud. And I agree. Does 24 help? Absolutely. I don't want to hear this crap about going on the mission hurts you. It hurts you big time a little bit to be 24 though. Certainly helps, but I don't really care. Mance is a total stud. He very well could have won an NCAA title if he had never gone on a mission. And, I mean, look behind me, folks. Henry Rono. I've got a poster of him on the wall. How the hell old was he? He was really damn old. Whatever. He's playing by the rules. He's winning by the rules. And Buddy sent me a text uh, the other day. And there's a text on Twitter. I don't know if this is a joke or not. John, you can help me out. You understand Twitter a little bit about better than me this is from marcus dixon it says just a reminder folks that we all have bad races everyone struggles everyone's struggle is unique and personal even in two-time ncaa xc champ connor mance has bad races his worst xc races are 10th place at nationals as a freshman and 12th at the footlocker nationals as a sophomore in high school so i assume this was like a compliment for mance but this guy, this is sick. He was 12th in the Nationals in high school as a sophomore. Like, how many Americans, I mean, how many people have ever done that as a sophomore? Not very many. I don't think you can count them on one hand. Finish that high as a sophomore? 
No, he's a, he's a total star. That was definitely a joke, Robert. It's it's crazy. He's he run he ran Footlocker three times, and he got twelfth as a sophomore. He ran NCAA cross four times. His worst finish was tenth as a freshman. Then he was third as a sophomore, and he wins as a junior and senior. This is the hardest race to win in NCAA running, and the guy comes out. He's won it twice. He came close a third time, and even that year that he was tenth. He was up there pushing the pace. That was his first ever NCAA cross in Madison. He was leading that race for a lot of it. And then it came down to a kick and he didn't quite have it. But it's so impressive what he's done. And it brings me to this comment from his former teammate, now pro, Rory Linkletter. He said he had a tweet saying, Connor Mance is the greatest American collegiate distance runner since Galen Rupp. And I was like, wow, is that true? And I'm like, it kind of has to be, right? Is there anyone who's close to him in this discussion? And he's counting distance as, you know, 5K and up. So Cole Hawker is not eligible for this discussion, according to Rory's criteria. Well, I assume, yes, you're the historian, John, but who, who would come close to beating him in that game? So, so two names came to mind for me. I mean, I guess, well, I, I consider Grant Fisher, who did one win one NCAA title. I guess Grant was pretty consistent as well. But the guys I thought of, Kubatia, one of them ran the race on Saturday, and I, he hasn't been great in cross country. His best place was sixth. You know, obviously things didn't go his way on Saturday, but his track stuff's really good. Like if you count his mile collegiate record, he's run three fifty in the mile, which is the collegiate record, thirteen twelve in the five k, which is the American collegiate record. He's the NCAA champion in the five k, NCAA DMR title, NCAA DMR record. He was also second in the three k behind. Cole Hawker, you know, he had a pretty ridiculous campaign last year. Then the other guy I thought of was Chris Derrick. And I think Stephen Pfeiffer, the former Colorado runner, also pointed him out. But I, I thought of Derrick. He never won an NCAA title. But if you go by top American, he was the top American in four separate NCAA finals on the track. He was four-time top 10 at NCAA cross, including second in 2011 when he was the top American behind Lawi Lang. He ran seven. He ran thirteen nineteen twenty seven thirty one, which is the American Collegiate ten k record. So he's a guy. You know, he just happened to be up against you know Lawi Lang, one of the greatest NCAA distance runners ever at his peak. You know, remember how close they were in twenty twelve NCAA indoors in Idaho? Lang beat him in the final step both races there. So some of it is dependent on your competition. I think I'd give Mance the nod, but. Those are, the, those are the guys I sort of thought of. I'm not sure if there are any others that I'm missing. Eric Jenkins was pretty good. I mean, if he didn't happen to overlap with Cesarek, he would have won. He won two NCAA titles indoors. He would have won cross in 2014. He would have won outdoors in the 10K in 2015. So he was another guy who was up there. But I, th- I think Mance probably is the best one since Rupp. Two NCAA cross titles. It's kind of hard to argue with that. The guy's a beast. And maybe I shouldn't have dismissed this title last year, but Kip 2 went out so hard, uh, I kind of put a little asterisk by it. I was like, okay, maybe if Kip 2 runs straight from the get-go, it would have been different. But today, or this year, once Kyoko went ahead, I thought it was over. But it, Mance showed extreme maturity. Now some will say, of course he did, right? Ha, ha, ha. But... When Kyoko went by, it's like, this is an all-out sprint. I, no one can keep this up. That was his only hope. He said, I think he said, unless it's Chepta guy, nice reference, only Chepta guy could keep this up. And I thought that was smart. He's like, look, 
I'm confident. I'm giving my best that he's going too hard. And it proved to be the case. Just extremely gutsy performance. And as you guys noted, he was extremely talented in high school, three-time footlocker finalist. But John, right, he was overage in high school, right? That's how it works, right? He was like an 18-year-old sophomore. Just kidding. That's a joke. He was of age in high school. It just shows how good this guy was. Because there's very few three-time foot footlocker finalists on the men's side, and he's one of them. Yeah, I'm interested. What do we think about his pro prospects? He was fifth at the Olympic trials in the 10,000 meters. He he strikes me as a guy who would be a star in cross country. You know, I mean, Rupp didn't run cross country as a pro, but, you know, do you think this guy could get, would it shock you if he was like Chris Derrick or Ben True and got top 10 at World Cross one year? I feel like if it was a tough conditions, weeds out, you know, tough cold conditions that weeds out some of the Africans, I think he could do that. Marathon, I mean, he really seems like he's built for like the marathon, the half marathon and above though. Like he's run 337 on the track, but just the way this guy runs his toughness, I don't know. I feel like he could be America's next great, great marathon or even though he hasn't run one. If you were him, would you stick on the track for a little bit or would you go up to the roads immediately? I don't think he should wait to go forever to go to the marathon. But I have real strong feelings on this here, first of all. Yes, he's America's next great marathoner. If you mean, like, next American great, like, white marathoner. And I, I don't mean that, like, in a real negative way, but I, I kind of feel Weldon's rolling his eyes. I can see Weldon rolling his eyes on the screen up there. But, you know, I, I, I just... Well, I guess Galen Rupp has been competitive, but I kind of feel like there's a ceiling. I mean, there, there, there's a ceiling... Was man's born in out? I guess Rupp wasn't born in out too. I don't know. Do I see him running two or three anytime soon? No. Do I see him <laughs> making an Olympic team in the marathon? Yes. I think he can also make the Olympic team on the track. I was thinking about this a little bit differently. Like, who would you rather have if you're a pro coach, Mance or Cooper Tier? Cooper Tier, by the way, hats off. The guy called across the finish line. I think like thirty thousand people have watched our YouTube video of him. Really gutsy performance. And I just think it depends on what you want. If you value the track, I think Tier's got the 350 speed. He's probably going to make an Olympic team in the 5,000. But a lot of these groups are focused on the marathon. They want the team. If you want to join the team, whatever, show up in the major, get the publicity, that's fine too. But my main advice to you, Mr. Connor Mance, is do not give up on cross country. Keep doing it. Be the Pat Porter. Win the USA's 10 years in a row. Be a stud. Go to World Cross. It doesn't really matter. People are like, oh, World Cross isn't important. What's important is what you do and what you get publicity for and what your shoe what your shoe company can put you on a poster for. And they can put you on a poster for being the badass US cross country runner. It doesn't matter, it's marketing. I mean, uh King Chaz, Edwin Chedrick has not done hardly anything as a pro, but Skechers is still getting money out of him because they put him up road five K world record holder on some New York City subway. So don't do what people you know you think you have to do. But I think this guy Yes, by far the best marathon, marathon prospect we've had since Galen Rupp. And I can't wait what he can do. But if he wants to do the 10,000 in 2024, no, don't do it. Go to the marathon trials in 2024. And then if you don't make it, you can come back and run the 10,000 trials. Well, Robert, earlier your idea of an NCAA cross-country draft might have been your worst idea. But the idea of turning Mance into Mr. Cross-Country as a pro, I love it. Just that becomes your thing. You say, hey, I'm taking this thing seriously. Now, the problem is, world athletics, 
they've gone they're going to go four years between world cross country but there will be world cross in 2023 2024 and 2026 so that's your window you know target those three races really try to take them seriously see if you can get top 10 see if you can medal i think i love that there's, there's a lot of not a lot of money in cross country obviously but if you you know you can run a marathon or two in between there but if you really go in and get people i would get excited i would love to see Connor Mance take on the world in cross country so I, I think that's a brilliant idea robert for the record john world cross country is every two years it's just a weird thing with covid it's going to be every f- four years right well it was a weird thing with covid but i mean they had a world half in 2020 and they had they had a world half in 2020 they had an olympics in 2021 we didn't have a world cross country in either of those years so and we didn't we're not going to have it it's canceled due to covid in 2022 as well i know it's been canceled for covid reasons but it's just a bit disappointing that you know they were able to reschedule some championships but not cross country thank you australia john did you say chris derrick and ben true were top 10 at world cross country 2013 big gosh you don't remember america got the silver america beat kenya in that race well then but what place did Derek and True finish? Ben True was sixth. I remember that. I I thought Chris Derek was in the top ten as well. Was he not? Chris Derek finished tenth. Yeah. Oh wow! And I was there. I was there in person. I forgot about that. I knew we got the silver, and I guess you got to have some low sticks. But that's pretty crazy. Does talent go away, Robert? What about Chris Eric these days? Breaking news to report, folks. Breaking news to report. The Northern Arizona men are not the winners of the 2021 NCAA Cross Country Championships, even though Weldon Johnson helped make Flagstaff what it is today, the mecca of American distance running. Well, then I like the underdogs. We're a little bit tired of them winning. And I've redone some numbers, John. Just redone the math. If you add up the top seven runners for both Iowa State and Northern Arizona, the best program in the land is led by the guy that loves Let's Run, or at least used to seven years ago. Jeremy Sudbury, 293. Northern Arizona, 325. Congratulations to the Cyclones of Iowa State for having the best program in the country. Well, I don't know what sport you're playing. I mean, cross-country rules, you score five, Robert. So, I mean, this is this is like saying the winner of an NFL team should be the team with the most first downs. Oh, actually, wait. That's how Robert often thinks about these games. He's like, wait, this team had more time of possession and they have more total yards? They should win the game, not the other team. Like, you know, I think sometimes you have a problem grasping the rules of these endeavors. So remember, top five score, Robert. Six and seven, they don't count. Well, fair enough. But you were talking about Ben True being top 10. But Ben True was top 10 when you only ran, like, what do they run now? Six six per team? Only four score? Back in the day, they used to, Kenya used to roll like 10, 12 guys out there and score like eight or something. I forget how it worked, but used to run a lot more. Used to run nine and score six or? I believe it was nine and six, yeah. All right, well, we're talking about current rules. Ben True is top 10. There's no asterisk about that. Okay, anything else? What stands out to you from NCAA Cross in terms of, you know, biggest, I think biggest disappointment. I mean, unfortunately, it's, you know, it's the end Notre Dame men here. I, I like how they've built up their program. 
I, I thought going in, like, this is the, I guess this is the debate, right? Because they had a number of guys run poorly. And Sean Carlson, the whole time, he said, look, we're not going to run a whole team until conference. Part of that, you know, Yara Nugus, one of that guys, he was injured in the summer. He had a very long track season. You know, we know about that. He didn't start at the Olympics. And so, okay, I can understand with that. But he's like, yeah, look, if you look at our last few years, we've come on strong. They ran well at ACCs. They ran very well at regionals. So I kind of thought they were trending in the right direction. But then they had a number of guys really struggle at nationals. And you say, did, it, did they get too cute? Or is this just a case of a bad day and it had nothing to do with peaking incorrectly? Like, what do you think went into this, Robert? Do you have any theories? Well, in hindsight, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, they got too cute. I mean, but I'm not going to lie. 1K into this baby, when I see the entire team in the top – 25. I'm like, they came to run today and they're going to dominate this. And then when, when I see Nagus the next lap fading, I'm like, they're done. Stick a fork in them. And I'm like, oh, they went out too hard. Everyone's like, oh, they went out too hard. And then basically that was all the scuttlebutt among the coaches. Anyone that went out hard died and the teams that ended up on the podium came from behind, well, except for NAU. So first of all, everyone was so closely together the first loop that, I don't know, is that much of a difference if you go out in 15th place versus 40th place? It's probably like two seconds. And it wasn't like the, the split was super fast at the mile because wasn't it like over 420? Well, 422. I know it's downhill, but 422 is still fairly quick. Yeah, 422 add eight seconds to it. It's 430. It's not crazy. I mean, they're running 2830, which is like 430 low the whole way. So I, I don't know. I, I, in hindsight, yes, I think that they got too cute. But But what do you mean? Like, how do you remedy that? You think, so if they raced earlier in the season, they would have run better at nationals. Like I, I don't necessarily buy that. I just think when you put all your eggs into the basket of we're going to peak for nationals and we're not going to treat some of the early season meets seriously. And then you run poorly at nationals. You have a tendency to say, Oh man, it's kind of a bummer. But at the same time, they won ACCs. I don't know. Like I like to see the top teams competing more, but I also understand that, you know, running well at nationals, that's every coach's biggest goal. So I don't, I don't really know how to feel about this. I don't think that, I think it's, you know, if they're consistently running, like if you look at their last two years, they ran their best race this season in NCAAs both times. So is the strategy flawed? I, I wouldn't say so. Well, yeah, I, I don't think it's flawed really. I mean, first of all, they, they absolutely hit like a grand slam in March. Like no one expected that. So then we expected them to replicate that and be even better. And that was just a mistake. We should have realized they're going to come back to earth. I just think really like, look, what happened here? Really, if you really listen, some the top three ran okay. That's fine. And then Nagus was way, way, way back. But this is a miler who was like 22nd or something in March. Probably this isn't really his thing. We were hoping he would do better just because it, it was good footing. But good footing also means they're going to run super fast. Cross country is not like like I mean, what was Andrew Weeding's best performance at cross country, or even Matthew Centrowitz? No, 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 no. Matthew, oh, first of all, Centro was a cross country star. He was top ten. I know, but he okay, fine. He was a two mile in high school, so Centrowitz isn't a good good example because he's not no, like fifteen hundred special. Like he was twenty third last year, Robert. He was an ACC individual champ. You can't say this guy can't handle cross country. He can. This was a course that was set up for him. He went out too fast and he blew up. Like he had a bad race. He's not like a guy who can't run a 10K. I think that the problem that they had with him was he was coming off the Olympics. He needed to be battle-tested for this. 10K is hard for him. He's going to have to run the race of his life to get this thing out. 20 seconds, amazing. Andrew Weeding was only 70 in the 75th. So 
you know, I, I don't think this is natural for him. For him to be a top 15 guy is, is unrealistic. I mean, it's not, it's not unrealistic, but it's super hard for him to pull off. And I just think it was hard. It was a little bit hot, too. That didn't help. But the other guy, Josh Methner, didn't we have him on the podcast once? You know, he was 117th. But if you look at his results, like, he hasn't he, – he, he opened up at ACC's. He was 10th. At the Great Lakes, he didn't run, and then he's here. So, like, 10th is not great for him. I mean, isn't he a former footlocker champ? So, I just don't – like, they kind of needed Nagus to run better, and they needed Methner to pull a Brady Hasty and just run. Even though nothing's shown that he's doing, doing it this year, he's a talent, show up and, and somehow do it, and he just couldn't do it. So, whatever. NAU is the champions. And I, what struck me, though, about all these – a lot of these teams was – I really bought into the fact of Notre Dame, the culture, the night the day before the race. You know, they've got a young coach. These guys, they all came in together. It's kind of like NC State. Once they started getting recruits, more recruits wanted to go there. They want to build something. They don't want to be a follower. They want to make this team happen. And, you know, Nagus could have gone pro. He comes back for the team. And I was like, that's powerful. They want to do it. But then when it's all over, you realize all these teams, or most of them, these guys love each other, and these women love each other like brothers and sisters, and it's a powerful team bond. So there's a lot of one, – what one coach was saying is there's a lot of coaches doing excellent jobs out there. And I love Sean Carlson after the fact. He's just like, look, we ran for the win. We didn't win. I'm not going to apologize for it. And kudos to him. I mean, that's right. You know, if they don't do it. I'm like, oh, they went out too hard. If they – when these teams come, try to come from behind, it drives me nuts. So I can't play it both ways. Kudos to Notre Dame. I believed in the vision. I picked you to win it. I was all in. I was wrong. But 1K in, I'm like, wow, they're going to stomp them. And then I'm like, oh, what idiots. So let's, let's do them in track. But I, I did think a little bit, well, maybe they're too cute. Like, you know, in, in, in track a couple years ago, they only did the DMR, et cetera. No, Robert, you're right. They've got a great culture. But yeah, like you said, there are a lot of strong teams here. I think there's one program that's clearly ahead of everyone else. That's NAU. They've dominated the sport for the last six years. But then cross-country program. Yeah, cross-country, right. Uh, But if you look at these other teams, like Oklahoma State, they were third two years in a row. They're doing really well. Arkansas, fourth two years in a row. They're doing really well. Like Notre Dame, I think they're right on that same level. But... They had a great day in March and they had an awful day in November. And the truth is they're probably somewhere in the middle. So yeah. I think one other team I'll just make a note of is Stanford. They were fifth. Their top four, all of them have freshman eligibility led by Charles Hicks, who could be a future NCAA champion. This was his, he's a freshman eligibility wise, but this is his third year in college. He was fourth. He's like me. He's a British American guy. So, you know, part of me is, is, I have a soft spot in my heart for a guy like that, dual citizen. I think he's a dual citizen. And Mance, you know, Mance is not returning. Kip is a junior, and Athanas Kyoko is a senior. So, could be Hicks trying to take on Kip for the title next fall in Stillwater. But for all the other coaches, John, NAU returns its entire team next year as well. So, hey, but as we saw this year, BYU women. It doesn't guarantee the title. NCAA cross country, I think, will. It takes five runners, so it can always be competitive. Can't just sit under your laurels, but NAU, five out of six is pretty amazing. And I think Robert mentioned his name, but I've been wanting to have a fifth runner of the week 
all year. And it's got to be NAU's Brody Hasty. The guy was 30th at the regional and he finished 39th at NCAAs. Mike Smith showed a lot of confidence. I mean, you could argue maybe he shouldn't even run it, but he'd been 44th and 46th at two previous NCAA championships. So he's shown he could do it. And I think, you know, if there's someone else, Mike could like slot in at number seven. He's like, no, this guy's upside is better. And he did it. And he'd be a good guy to have on the podcast. He was like an 836, 3200 meter runner in high school. I think he was runner up at NXN. And, you know, all American in college is pretty good, but he's not a superstar. I'm sure in some ways he's like, oh, I'm struggling. You know, I'm not one of the top guys. But he came up big when it mattered for his team. And NAU would not be the team title without him, which is that crazy stat you guys had, which I can't believe is that usually the sixth man gets you over the top. But it wouldn't have happened this year. So great run by him. An interesting note on Brody Hasty. Remember, he committed to Oregon out of high school. The Pals left the program for Washington, and he ended up changing his recruitment from Oregon to NAU, and now he's a part of NAU's title team. So butterfly effect right there. Yeah, and there used to be a lot of talking about him. I don't know why. I don't really follow the high school scene very much. On the message board, he was very high profile. I think you could view his, certainly, his individual performances as disappointing in college, but I'm sure he, if you asked him in high school, what's he going to be doing, he probably thought it'd be better, but that's a real testament to Mike Smith. Like, not everyone's going to be an individual star, but 36 is pretty damn good. You know, he's a guy that's probably going to make NCAAs on the track, but he just handed them another team title. So amazing job for him. And that, and that's going to be, you know, something he remembers, you know, for the rest of his life. Okay, guys, we have to turn to a human being running. Gosh, I'm probably going to get this time wrong. 57.31? Nailed it. Yes. For the half marathon. Jacob Caplimo. Now, this beat Kibiwat Candier's world record by only a second. So maybe we shouldn't be totally shocked. But I still hadn't adjusted to human being running 57.32. But the, I mean, what do you guys think of this? This is in Lisbon. He went out pretty much solo effort, or you know, he's ahead after 3K. I mean, his splits are absolutely sick. I almost would have gotten the American record at 10K along the way. Keeps going. Actually slowed down a little bit. Still got the record by one second. And he's two minutes faster than Ryan Hall's 59.43, which should no longer be the record with Super Shoes. It's just sort of mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I mean, I woke up on Sunday morning with an email alert from World Athletics saying half marathon world record broken, which is, I guess, how I just wake up every Sunday morning these days. It seems like some world record goes down. But I was like, I didn't know anyone was even going for it. At least when, you know, Gide got out, I knew that was a genuine world record attempt. And Jacob Kiplimo, let's just put into context, this performance is a lot better and more impressive than Kibwat Kandier's 57-32 from Valencia last year. I know they're only a second apart, but Kiplimo won. This is one of the bullsiest runs in history. And Robert doesn't like me using that term, but fine. Gutsiest, tough, like insane, bold, brazen, whatever adjective you want to use. He goes out in 13-40. His next 5K, 13-25. His third 5K, 13-22. So his 15K split was 40-27. That's 38 seconds faster than the 4105 world best for 15K by Joshua Cheptegay. His middle 10K 
1325 and 1322, that's a 26.47. That's three seconds off Galen Rupp's American record on the track. That's insane. And at 15K, now he slowed down a bit the last 5K. He split in 14.02. But at 15K, he was on 56.53 half marathon pace. He did this totally solo. He won by over two minutes. It's just crazy how like how impressive a run this was. This is one of the great, obviously it's a world record, but it's one of the great road running performances and boldest road running performances we've ever seen. Okay, John, I was about to yell at you when he said, this is way better than a 57.32. I'm like, no, it's not. It's one second. But then when you provide that context, amazing. And guys, I know we can make fun of some of these people's ages, but officially he just turned 21 eight days ago. He does look young. What, what do we think the future for him is? An Olympic bronze medal and then 10,000. Fifth in the 5,000. I mean, remember, he's he's run that fast 3,000, 726. But he's also the world half marathon world champion in this event. I mean, it seems like right now that the half marathon is clearly his sweet spot. Let's hope he doesn't end up being like the Eritrean. Listen to that say. But do we think he's going to be the marathon beast or do we think he's going to be the 10,000 beast? Because after this, I'm like, wait, who, who won the 10,000? I knew he, I knew he got a medal. I was like, it wasn't Chapter guy, Selman Varega. I mean, th- these events are loaded. Well, yeah, that's the thing, Robert. You would say like, oh, this guy, he's such a generational talent. You know, he's going to win everything. And then it's like, no, actually we're really stacked in the 10K right now with Varega and Chapter guy. So yeah, I think 10K half marathon. I, for some reason, I see Chapter guy as more of, a marathon type, then no, I don't know. I, I don't really, I guess I should think of Kip Limo as like a future marathon star, but for some reason I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know. So I don't know. I feel like he's more of a 10K half marathon guy, but maybe that's just because he hasn't run a marathon yet. He's so young. Like I can't even picture him running a marathon yet. It's not like the all time greats like Hailey G and Bekele weren't good at all three of them, but. I just wish, by the way, we started the podcast with me getting a pair of super shoes and I've, I, I made shirts with them, you know, with Asterix 159.40, but if they're going to let the shoes, why don't they just let these guys, he obviously loves these super shoes. Why does, why can't he just wear them on the track? I don't give a shit. He shouldn't have to wear spikes. If he wants to wear the super road shoe on the track, let him do it and just bounce his way to a 25, 10,000. Would they be faster? That'd be interesting. And could let's run, could we organize a super shoe 10K on the track? Like break the records or like, would that like, is that like competing with doping athletes? Like we'll be banned and everyone who competes in the meet will be banned from world athletics. I don't think you get banned. It's just you, the marks don't count. They don't view it as like doping or anything like that. Just making sure. We got to have like a world record, some we got to come up with some genius idea for a race. Become friends with that bi- billionaire in Valencia. He'll fund it. All right, track fans. It's been a lot of fun. I wish we had more time, but John and I got to go interview Whitney Orton. Everyone have a happy Thanksgiving. Supporting club members, hang on. I will now give a brief defense of J.K. Rowling and, and tell a funny story of how I wanted a male friend of mine to buy a pregnancy test. All right, SC members, please don't cancel me. I love you. It was really cool to hang out with Brian Corbin, course designer and SC member. 
in Tallahassee. Everyone have a good, happy Thanksgiving. And remember, on Friday, we'll be dropping the bonus pod, the Friday 15 with Whitney Orton and Connor Manch, your two NCAA champions. Gobble, gobble.